vitality is the sort of, you know, the, the gusto, whatever, the enthusiasm, the, that raw vital energy that gets you out of bed and gets you going long before you had your breakfast, yeah? And as opposed to the sort of physical energy you can get because you had a good bowl of porridge or what you can get from drinking your coffee, yeah? Now, that's produced by the quality of your mind, and some people have a lot of vitality and other people it's not so strong. Some people have to guard it because they've only got so much to go around and others they can seem to squander it in every direction. It doesn't seem to matter. That's vitality. And then the last thing that is produced by, by karma... Are we clear? When I keep using this word, it's a very loaded word, but I'm talking about the volitional quality of your mind, what's prompting you to act. This is karma. Maybe we'll drop that word. Let's use the word action energy. Yes? So if there's a lot of aversion that's driving you, then you have aversion-rooted mind. That aversion is the karmic force or volitional force behind your actions, habitually, say, or if there's a lot of greed, or there's a lot of restlessness, or there's a lot of I don't know, whatever. Worry and anxiety, this is the volitional force that's prompting you. You understand? So let's take the word karma out for now and just use action, energy, or volition. So the sex base. Now this is produced by karma. It's not produced by your food. Now, you know, I've got a a physical body that's that's a male body. Now that's not karma. Well, in a way it is. Uh, yeah, even that to a degree. But that's basically sperm and egg and mum and dad. And here I am. I'm a man. Okay? But in the su- subtly in the background behind this, there's a subtle element that marks this body as masculine or feminine. You understand that? Masculinity and femininity as opposed to this is a man and this is a woman. These are subtler aspects. Now, you can get a sense of it. You can't see it. um, You can't see it so obviously physically. But that masculinity or femininity within us is something that we can sense directly because it's 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 a subtle energetic field, and we feel it at a subtler level than through our ordinary senses. But generally speaking, in a male body, you would have a masculine, predominantly masculine, sex base. But it won't be entirely so. There'll be a degree of femininity in there as well. Um, and generally speaking, in, a, in a, a woman's body, you'll have a female or feminine, sorry, sex base. But not always. Sometimes you have um, a consciousness that is masculine by nature in a female body. And sometimes you will have the opposite. Now, that is not social um, uh, homosexuality. That is karmic. That is where the consciousness is masculine. It, it functions and thinks and processes things, which is, there is a fundamental difference in the way in which you know, a, a, a female and a male perspective are different for all kinds of very complex um, reasons, many of them karmic. But So this sex base, which is the mark of us, not the physical mark, but the sort of masculinity or the femininity of us, is produced by karma. And you can't change that. You can't eat something 
that's going to change that. That's the quality of your consciousness. So look at this. You know, here we are, so worried about what we had for breakfast, whether we got our sort of yummy sort of stuff on the top of our porridge or whether we got our super shake and what kind of organic coffee we had, thinking that that's going to change everything. But it isn't going to change these things, and these are the very basis of what you are. This is your real functionality. You know? For example, here you are, utterly obsessed about what you eat, let's say. You know, going around to all these shops, seeking out the very best of everything, so you're perfect breakfast. And that's no doubt doing you tremendous good. But on the day that you can't get it, it's like, all hell break. Oh my God, what am I going to have for breakfast today? I can't get my diet, my special diet, and everything falls apart. That obsessive mind, or, or that intolerant mind that can't eat that and can't eat that, is doing you far more damage than you're getting benefit from this extraordinarily highly nutritious food. If your mind is obsessed about it, then, you know, if you, if, rather than if every now and then, well, I can't seem, to, can't seem to get anything decent for breakfast, oh, I'll grab some of that. And you just eat it once or twice. It isn't going to do you too much. What's doing you the problem is the intolerance in your mind. That's what's doing you the mischief. If your mind becomes more tolerant, your ability to assimilate a wide variety of experiences and by extension, a wide variety of foods will improve. Yeah? So, you know, you can't... Of course it's important what we eat. But it's not nearly as important as what goes on. I mean, there's people out there who have the same bowl of grain every single day of their lives. And they're physically strong and robust. It's the quality of your mind has the greatest impact upon the quality of your life much more than what you had for breakfast. So think about that. You know, when you are fussing about what you're going to eat, of course it's great. You know, we get great pleasure from what we eat, but don't think you're going to fix all your problems with your breakfast. You're not. I'm not saying you're going to fix all of your problems by sorting this lot out, but you will change a lot of the basic parameters that are driving you. And a lot of issues that you are struggling to deal with will start to be hugely improved if you can improve the quality of what is prompting you to act, which is why we're meditating. So I say this at this, this stage because, you know, it maybe takes a while for us to appreciate the importance of what you did yesterday and why that's more important than whether or not you're looking good concentrating. For example, when you find yourself in a challenging situation, like, oh my gosh, have I really got to sit here for another 45 minutes? And in that moment, you find patience and determination and willingness to do, and you overcome your laziness, your restlessness, and your aversion to being relatively uncomfortable, you profoundly start to change the pace of your body and your heart base. And you haven't even begun to meditate yet. Yeah, because in a situation that you would normally have got frustrated, impatient, given up and gone and done something else and created caused all this shaking in the base of your body, you sat there and you stuck at it. Yeah? That's the volitional energy that goes on in the background that is causing, 
that is supporting your life and you started to change it yesterday, even before your meditation really got underway. So think about it like that. It's important that you think about it like that because the attitude that you bring to what you do is the single most important factor, not just in what you get out of that, but in what it does to you. Sometimes you're going to face challenges and sometimes you're going to have to do things you don't like. They don't have to be your undoing. In fact, they could be your making. You know, if when you face a tremendous challenge, you find some composure, some equanimity, some acceptance and patience, some willingness to forbear, some tolerance, maybe some loving kindness, that thing that you could have prompted you to throw your toys out of the pram, stamp your feet and get into a bit of a rage or say, oh, I'll give up with all of this nonsense and cause everything within you to start falling apart could have become the thing that causes everything within you to start to become more stable. So the real transformation from your meditation is going on within you When you face little challenges like I'm not getting on very well with my sitting posture or I'm finding it difficult and you stick at it and you find a way and you don't give up and you carry on rather than those times when you sit down and it all slots together. Of course, that is a reflection of the fact that you've become coherent. But the transformation happens in the process of moving from a state of incoherence into one of coherence. A pleasurable meditation is a reflection of the fact that you brought yourself into a more coherent state. Don't just sit there and expect your meditation to bring you coherence. The attitude that you bring while you are learning to do it is what will bring coherence. All right? So... There you go. Don't worry about when it isn't going well. Don't worry. When it's not going well, that's the opportunity to find some strength of character in you that you wouldn't normally find, some quality that you would not normally bring to the things that you do that are going to refine all of this. And gradually, through the being there, in those moments, the instability that means you're finding it difficult to sit and concentrate slowly starts to fade away or become more stable. There is a difference between coping with stress and Nailing it. You know, you might be able to cope with the big stuff by cranking yourself up to a degree, shutting yourself down, becoming slightly numb and pushing on through, which means that you are somewhat numb to your experience so that you can do it. Yeah, that, you know, that's that coping. Coping is not having a high quality mind in the face of sound. That's, I just got to gird my loins and do it. Yeah. 
So we'll, we'll talk about this later, these three states of being that I call flourishing, coping and struggling. Um, we can appear to have a higher capacity for stress than we actually do because we do have emergency resources that we can turn to within us that can draw, we can, you know, that we can draw on for the purposes of getting stuff done. But that is, you know, our hypersympathetic state. We're supposed to be using that for when we've got a psychopath chasing us down the street or a saber-toothed tiger about to eat us. We shouldn't run our life on that energy. So maybe in your situation, because you run your life on your stress stress energy, you know, you actually really have to take care of what you're eating because you're, you're asking so much of yourself to do the things that you have to do. This is, goes back to when, we, are, when we, are, we try to take out what we ask of ourselves requires us to more of us than we can give from a state of ease. We start to borrow from our reserves. That will be causing the base. You look like you can cope with a lot of stress, but the base of the body will be shaking. You're not actually landing the experience in a way that it doesn't cause you to shake. I, we can go into this coping state, this sort of emergency, dry, pulling on reserves, and run our life on it, and appear to be doing really well for quite a long time. But the moment we stop running ourselves on these resources, we totally crash. Yeah. And it's, you're borrowing from the bank, you're running on overdraft when you do that, basically. Yeah. We have a tremendous capacity, but most, it's not most, but so many people now, the way that the speed and the pace that we live our lives and what we take out opposed to what we put back in is so out of balance that the only way we can cope with what we're asking of ourselves is by running ourselves on this driven state. It's like, right, let's get on with it. And you're not getting on with it from a state of real balance, composure. There's a slightly stressed angle in the background that's constantly there.